This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. So glad to see you here. You made a good choice by coming. We're going to have fun today in the scriptures and let God minister to us. If you're a guest, we're so honored to see you. If you need a Bible, get your hand up, and I encourage you to get one. Once you get a Bible, go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. All right, it's just, you're turning there the upcoming weeks. A week from Sunday is Palm Sunday. Uh, Friday the 19th is Good Friday, and then we come to Resurrection Sunday two weeks from today. So again, get your family here. I believe God will touch them, okay? All right, well, where we're going here this morning is uh, when we come back from the men of iron, that there's, there's always women who want to know some of the things that took place. So I like to teach some of the stuff that I taught there. And so, again, I'll be on my best behavior. All you men, relax, okay? Pastor's got it today. All right, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectively or carefully, also cautiously, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. An interesting statement right there. And so there's a warning here that we, may be, we must be careful how we live. What a warning here. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says this, Don't give place to the devil. Don't give foothold to the devil. Don't give opportunity to the devil. My translation says this, Don't play on the devil's playground. You run with the devil, you're going to get bit, Okay. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 15, and we're going somewhere, and I'll get here in just a little bit where we're headed with this, and you'll begin to see a little bit of the pattern of what I believe God wants us to get in your heart today. Acts 15, verse 16. After this, I will return, and we build a temple or the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them, now get this, to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled and from blood. And you say, we don't have a problem with those, Pastor. Are you sure? Keep reading with me, same chapter. Verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now, he repeats that again. And actually, if we had time, we'd go even further. Acts 21, verse 15 says almost the identical same thing. So three times within uh, uh, six chapters, there's this warning about this. Now, I want you to, to really look at the end of verse 29 because this will touch your heart right here. It says, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. The New International Version says you will do well to avoid these things. So it's an interesting thought right there that he has. Now, turn with me back in the Old Testament, book of Numbers, chapter 25. Numbers, chapter 25. Now, I'm going to get into some things here briefly that 
I didn't talk about down at the Men of Iron. And part of the reason was I didn't have time. But the question arises many times. They said, Pastor, how, how do you know what you're going to speak on while you're there and stuff? And so when I started this year, early January, I began to say, Lord, b- begin to prepare my heart with your heart. Put in my heart what you want. And so it's, it's early February, and it's on a Sunday, and Shelly says to me, she said, on a Sunday evening, she said, we're supposed to go to this banquet tonight called the Heartline Banquet, which is an organization, a ministry here in Lubbock to rescue children from being aborted. And I can tell you this truthfully, at first when she said, let's go, I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't want to go. I wanted to stay home. But I went, and the speaker was just an incredible woman. I mean, incredible And she had worked for Planned Parenthood for between six to eight years. And she said she really believed in women's choice for years. Until she watched a little baby aborted. So I'm sitting there listening to what she's saying. And she said the two main reasons that abortion in America is so strong. She said number one is money. Money. In other words, the doctors wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't money. And so I'm listening. And she says the second reason that abortion is so successful in our country is because of the males. Now, when she said because of the males, it got my attention. And I perked up and I looked at her and I thought, explain. And she said, the majority of women that get aborted, they're not married. They're young. And so she said, we have an epidemic in America that we have a bunch of young men. They want to have sex with these women. And that's why we're talking about this in the church, okay? Just breathe. It's okay. That's the problem. The church hadn't addressed this. And so we got a generation of young men growing up. They don't have a clue. And so they want to have sex with them, and then they impregnate them. But you know what? I don't want to fight for the mama. I don't want to fight for the baby because I don't want to be inconvenienced. And it broke my heart as a man, as a male. And I thought, Lord, give me opportunity to tell young men the truth. And I will say this in here today. I'm not judging. I'm not criticizing If you've had an abortion, actually my heart goes out to you today. Because often you're pressured by a young man who says, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. So that was the first phase of it. And it set on me for about a month. And then many of you know we we were blessed to go to Israel. And so one of our days were in Israel. I'm in far northern Israel, an area called the Golan Heights. And we're at this, this cliff that's honing these rocks. And it was the actual place where Jesus says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And remember, they responded and said, some say you're a prophet, some say you're a priest, some say you're John the Baptist. And he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And then in, in, in Matthew 16, verse 18, the Lord Jesus says, and the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. So right there where I'm at, 
is where he was referencing this to. And when he said this, the gates of hell won't prevail, he was, he was talking about this altar that was right there, that they were worshiping the God of Pan. And Pan was a, a demonic God, but they were worshiping this idol. And behind the altar was a thing that looked like a little pond, and they would sacrifice animals to this God. But when the animals wouldn't be sufficient, they begin to sacrifice their children. And the Lord Jesus says, basically, this is the worst place on earth. It doesn't get any worse than this, but I'm telling you, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. And so when I see that right there, that they're sacrificing children, the Lord brings me back to the Heartline Banquet. And while I'm sitting there, he said, it's no different in America. You're sacrificing your children in the name of the God of money, in the name of the God of inconvenience. And so I said, Lord, help me. Help me to inform a young generation Man, this is, this is incredible what's going on. So we go here to the book of Numbers, chapter 25. And this is about an ungodly king named Balak. He was a Moabite king. And he doesn't want anything to do with the Israelites. He doesn't want to be near them. He doesn't want them near him. So he hires this knucklehead named Balaam. And that's not in the Bible. That's my paraphrase edition. He's a sorcerer. And he hires them to curse the Israelites. But he can't do it. He plots and he plots and he can't do it. And actually, he says back to, to Balak, he says, the Lord blessed and what the Lord blessed, I can't reverse it. And so he realizes, right, I'm not messing with man, I'm messing with the God. So we pick up here, Numbers 25, verse 1. Now Israel, God's chosen, they remained in a Casilla grove, and the people begin to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. God's chosen. So the New Living says it this way. Some of the men defiled themselves. They compromised. Now here's what happens in this. This sorcerer named Balaam knew, I can't curse them. But I know how they can curse themselves. I'll get them around these Moabite women and they'll get into sexual sin. And he knew God, he doesn't tolerate sexual sin. Actually, when you study the Torah, you begin to see the anger of God when it comes to sexual sin. And so they begin to get into this. Now, now watch what happens where this leads to. They invited the people to sacrifice of their gods. <laughs> Look at the word there, little g. Their gods. And the people ate and they bowed down to their gods. Now remember, we go all the way back to Acts 15 where we, we started and it said, man, uh, uh, get away from sexual immorality. Don't mess with anything that have to do with idols. In our life, we think, well, that's primitive. That's irrelevant. No, it's not. Remember, the definition of an idol is anything that takes place or takes God's place. I, I, I love sports. And I said this a week ago because Texas Tech's still playing. 
I shouted and I shouted last night. I didn't burn anything or I didn't tip any cars over. I let John do that. Where are you at? John, John didn't do that either. But I, I'm not going to lose my salvation if they win or lose. It's not. What happens in that NCAA championship game? It's not going to alter eternity. God loves us to enjoy those things, but we ought to worship. That ought to be the biggest thing. And so I asked the question, how many people stayed up and watched that game last night? They didn't go to church today. So to a degree, sports in America has become a God. No, it hadn't. Yeah, it has. So again, you begin to see, they begin to dabble in a little bit of sin, and it begin to change who they ran with and what they did. Verse 3. So Israel was joined to Baal of Poor. What a statement. That would be like us, and this is what I want you to do the rest of this morning. I want you to put yourself in, in the story. And this would be like me, me, and, me and Joel, me and Paul would say, we love God, but we're joined to the God of, uh, of Baal today. And you want to see how God views that? Look at verse 3. So Israel was joined to the Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. The anger of the Lord, why? They put down their guard. They, 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 they loosened their commitment. They relaxed their standards in order to justify their flesh. Acts 15, verse 29. You do well if you stay away from these. Sexual sin and idols. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun. This wasn't a big deal. This is huge. He said all the offenders right here in broad daylight, I want you to hang them. Hang them high. How? How? Why? Keep reading. That the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. H highlight those words because it's very easy for us to talk about the love of God. And I know God's a God of love. But he specifically says that this would turn away the fierce anger from the Lord. Verse 5. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Get rid of it. Verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a midnight woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. And let me paraphrase this for you. When you see the tabernacle of the meeting, that would be like the church. And if you'll note there, Moses was there and all the congregation they're at the tabernacle of the meeting. And it says they're weeping. This, this is what I picture them doing. I picture them being on their knees and repenting and saying, Father God, mercy. Mercy is mercy is for all we've done. And so they're crying out to God. They're calling out to God. And this Israelite, and his name was Zimri, he walks right in front of them. He parades himself with this midnight woman named Cosme, and he's got his arm around her. And he's looking and it's like he's saying, what do you think of this, fellas? How do you like this? 
And so his act was blatant. It was in your face. And that's in our society too. You can't watch TV without this stuff being in your face. But just because it's in my face, it doesn't mean it's right. And so the message right here, it, it says when he did this, that he flaunted his behavior. What's wrong with a little sin? As long as it's ever now and then. Look at this. Keep reading verse 7. Now when Phineas, and it may be Phineas, and it may be Phineas, okay, please don't lose your salvation. When I was in Israel, that was one of the things I found out real quick. I have butchered the languages of the Bible. I'm sorry. Phineas, Phineas, don't send me an email, okay? Now when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, he saw it. He rose from among the congregation and he took a javelin in his hand. So this guy named Phineas, he's one of them that's at the tabernacle and he's calling out to God and he sees this knucklehead strolling blatantly in front of him and he's watching him and he goes gets a javelin. Verse eight. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and he thrust both the men through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. Now get this. He took this javelin. You know what the message says? He jabbed it right through their private parts. He didn't applaud it. He didn't endorse it. He didn't say, it's okay, it's your life, live however you want. Here's what I begin to see with this. Do I love what God loves and do I hate what God hates? End of verse 8. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. The epidemic... The calamity was stopped, but it didn't stop until it was put to death. Verse 9, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. That's bigger than a lot of cities in this area. 24,000 of them died. Two thoughts off of that. One, how many of our children are being killed on a daily basis through abortion? Number two, if sexual sin was judged right now like it was right there, how many of us in this room would be dead? Oh, pastor, that hurt. I say that to say this. I thank God I live in the New Testament. And I'm not talking about a grace that says you can live however you want. That's what grace is for for me to sin. No, 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 that's not what it's sin. Or that's not what it's for. Grace doesn't give me a license to sin. I don't need a license to sin. I do well enough without one. But when I look at the, what I'm talking about, the covenant of the New Testament, John 16, verse 8 says, Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, and he'll convict you of sin. He'll convict your heart. This isn't me that's working on This is the Holy Spirit. And he starts working in our hearts. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, he doesn't do it to beat us up. He doesn't do us to smear us. He doesn't do it to a place where I say, Lord, I repent. 
I repent. And remember the word repentance isn't just a confession. It's to do a 180. It's I change. So I'm, I'm looking at this right here, the conviction of sin. In Acts chapter 2, the, the apostle Peter, he begins to preach the word. This is Acts 2, verse 37, 38. He begins to preach the word of God. And I mean, he's preaching the word of God. And it says that it cut him to heart. The words that he was speaking, it was cutting them to heart. So I look at that. It's like the Holy Spirit takes that javelin and he starts cutting us to heart. And he says, God doesn't want you to live that way. God's got more for you. And so after the word of God cuts them to heart, you know what they say? What do we do? And Peter said, repent. And be baptized. Be water baptized. And get born again. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you go back and look at the order, I believe we do well in the first two. We tell people to repent. We tell them you got to get born again. you got to be at water baptized. But to a degree, we set them up to fail when we don't tell them about the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, you don't have no power. Thank you, I will. And so that's what I mean by, thank God I live in the New Testament. And I don't know about you, but I, I welcome the conviction of sin. See, anytime the Lord begins to convict me, and he's never going to stop convicting you. But when he convicts you, he's wanting to purge you. And the reason he's wanting to purge you, anytime he purges you, he's got a harvest in mind. And he wants to bless, he wants to move us up. Now, everything's getting ready to change, okay? For good. You're getting ready to get blessed, okay? Verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Finus, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, he's turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. The word zeal right there means his uncompromising partisan. And so he just said, because this guy named Finus, he had the guts to confront this stuff. It's removed my wrath. It's removed my anger. It's removed my judgment. Again, our job isn't to save anyone. Our job is not to heal anyone. Our job is just to tell them the truth. And oftentimes when the truth is told, people will either reject it or they'll come after you. They came after the Lord Jesus. I made a comment at the Men of Iron on the lines of marriage. And I said, marriage is a big deal to God. And I said, if you're living together, you're in sin. That's always real popular to say that. And so I said, some of you say, well, we're common law. Well, you may be common law and you may get the government's blessings, but common law in God's eyes is common stupid. And I had a guy who challenged me and I said, I love you enough to tell you the truth. You know what he said to me? He said, I've lived with this woman for 12 years and I'm raising her kids and you're telling me that God doesn't bless that? And I said, you want God to bless you, but you don't want to live by his standards. And I said, I'm telling you the truth. I love you. And he would go kind of like this, like he wanted to swing. 
And I said, really, if you want to know my opinion a little further, you got two choices. You either marry the broad or the woman. <laughs> this is Oscar Reyes preaching. <laughs> or you got to hit the road, Jack. Just, just read the Bible. Keep reading. Verse 12. Now watch this. Therefore say, tell Finus, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. This is one of the things I want to highlight to us in this room. God gives his covenant of peace to those who live by his word. And I believe that's one of the inheritance today that God's wanting to give every one of us. And when I talk about the covenant of peace, you can have all the riches in the world and not have peace and just be a messed up soul. You, you can have all the fame and not have the peace of God and be a messed up soul. I don't know about you. I treasure the peace of God. And he said, tell O Finus, I want to bless him with the covenant of peace. Verse 13. And it shall be to him, Finus, and his descendants after him, a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. So because of this guy's stand against sexual sin and idols, God said to him, listen, buddy, I'm not just giving you a covenant of peace. I'm giving your descendants after you a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. So literally, you know what that means? There's an internal compass that's going to be placed in your children and your grandchildren because of your acts of peace. And so when they begin to grow up, literally when they come into this earth with what the Word of God says, your kids get the nod of God. It's like, God says, it's my boy. That's my boy. It moved me. I want my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, and you guys know I'm going to live a long time, so even my great-great-grandkids, I, I, I don't want them just to be successful and blessed. I want them to walk in a covenant of priesthood. And I want them to say about me, my daddy was a man of God. My granddaddy, he wouldn't change, he wouldn't. My great-granddaddy, he outran horses. He would mount up with wings of eagles. My granddad, he was a champion for God. He told us to serve God all the days of our life. And he left an everlasting covenant with us. And so when I look at that, I, I sense God raising the bar and saying, I, I got sons and daughters all over this house today. I want to bless you. But God can only bless you when you live by his standards. I'm going to make a statement you may want to write down. God's love cannot embrace what his holiness condemns. What did he say, Martha? God's love cannot embrace what his holiness condemns. So we live in a society, well, well God loves me. God wants me to be happy. That's true. God does love you and he wants you to be happy. But he's not going to override his holiness to break what his word says. Same chapter. Verse 16. 
I'm getting close, just about another hour. <laughs> he's kidding, yeah, he's kidding. Verse 16, now watch this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them. Be hostile toward them. This is interesting to me. God's saying, go after them. Go after them. Why? For they harassed you with their schemes, with their strategies. Better yet, some translations will say with their wiles, W-I-L-E-S. That same word, wiles, right there in this chapter is cross-referenced to the same wiles we get in the book of Ephesians 6.11, which tells us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so when I read this right here, guess what's happened? The devil's ripped many of us off. John 10.10 says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. So literally when I read this, this is my, my translation of that. Attack. He's stolen stuff from you. He's stolen your inheritance. And the way we do that is through the name of Jesus. Through the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.